Are you an Aussie tradie and your paperwork is shady? Do the darkest farm side keep you up late at night? Are you sick of pushing paper? Swinging your tools the more you gave up. Call us the tricks of your trade. Welcome to the Tricks of Your Trade podcast, where we talk about trade business topics to help you get through business life unscathed. Does the bill to pay you late and your cash flow fluctuates? Do you dread the office work? Can't afford a full-time clerk? Consider working smarter. Don't be a business smarter. Call us the Tricks of Your Trade. Everyone, I uh, just wanted to jump in this afternoon. I know it's the weekend, but had some really interesting conversations the last couple of weeks with trade credit insurers, with subcontractors, uh, with developers, with solicitors for all of the above. And I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the things that builders have done uh, recently when they've been going broke and what the implications of those things have been for subcontractors. So I know that there are a lot of staff of building companies who follow my posts. And the reason I know that is because I can see the stats on who follows my posts. So I'm hopeful that some of the messages that I can put out there to give some context around some things will actually make a difference to the industry and the way that we all approach things in our industry. Because one thing I know to be true is that it's not that the people are bad in the construction industry. I don't believe that for a second. And I've worked for builders and I, I know staff in building companies. I still know people who work for building companies who are really good people who end up caught up in situations where their builder might be going broke or having financial troubles or having some kind of dispute. And it's not a reflection on the human beings that are the staff of the building company. Uh, sometimes those staff have really different values and really wish they didn't have to be involved in such horrible situations. I uh, know of situations where some staff were with one builder who went broke and then they picked up their stuff and they went to find another job and then six months later the next builder that they went to work for went broke as well. So I know that it has an impact on construction industry professionals in our industry and one thing I really want to talk about and make public is that what happens in your day job will follow you around for your career. Oftentimes it shapes the values of the person that you decide to be and what you decide to do with your career. And that's what happened to me when I was a really green CA. I worked for a few different builders. All of them had financial stress uh, and some of them didn't make it. And that has shaped the career path that I've taken because it had a big influence on me. So the purpose of me going live today to talk to you guys about this is because I want to show you what the implications of some of the things you might do in your day-to-day -day administration can have on a subcontractor's business. So with the history of builders that have recently gone broke in Australia, we've seen a couple of different methods of going broke. And I'm not saying this lightly, guys, it's not a funny thing, but there have been different, different processes that different building companies have followed. And in my experience, when I was working for builders in financial distress, their approach was always to try to trade out of it. But it, there always came a point where an individual who was behind a building company had to put their own money in to keep things afloat. And if that money wasn't there, then they wouldn't do it. If it was enough money that they just didn't believe in doing it or they weren't prepared to do it, then they wouldn't do it. Uh, also, then there's the concept of whether this company structure is a viable uh, business 
and whether if even if you do tip that much money in there you're giving away your personal money to put into your business to keep it afloat to what end if that's not going to be a profitable business so um one thing that i was really interested to see uh happen about two years ago now uh was a builder who decided to um go to the media when they were struggling and normally when builders are in financial distress those types of issues are highly confidential and so going to the media is an absurdity why would you go to the media with that i can see why they did it they went out to the media and said we're appealing to our developers and our principals to help us to support us through this hard time we want to be able to continue to trade we feel like we've got a viable business but we're going to need our developers to come to the party and put some money into these jobs now the developers all said no to that um, and that was the first of a string of builders to collapse at that point in time Previous to that, builders had just quietly fallen on their sword. They would try to keep it a secret for as long as possible and then they would fall on their sword. But this particular building company went to the media and what I thought was particularly interesting about what they did was in the media article, they said, um, it's okay, we're going to pay all of our subbies on Monday. And the funny thing about that is if you go to the media and you make it public that you're going to go broke, and then you say, I'm going to give a payment to my subcontractors next week. It's like a red rag to a liquidator to look back for preference payments because all those subbies who are paid immediately after that media article ought to have reasonably known that their builder was going broke or was struggling financially. And prior to that, they may have hand on heart not had any idea that their builder was going broke. So I really think that wasn't the best thing to do. Going to the media, um, I think was try they were trying to leverage the media around the projects to get the developers to come to the table, but it didn't work, right? Um, interestingly, that particular builder prior to that had still been telling their subcontractors that they had a viable business. And I know people who personally knew directors of the building company who were still telling their good friends, no, 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 everything's fine. You know, we're fine. We're going to make heaps of profit this year and all of those all of those untrue things. So rule number one, and the first thing I think the builders shouldn't do is go to the media and say, we're gonna go broke, but it's okay because we're gonna pay everyone next week because uh, you could put your subbies into a situation where anything you pay them would be a preference payment that the liquidator might go after. Now, I've not heard of particular circumstances of that happening with that particular builder yet, uh, but that's not to say that that liquidator hasn't got to that point in the process, we just don't know, um, but it's always a risk. Now, the other thing that that particular builder did quite a bit of uh, prior to going broke was putting bogus back charges onto payment schedules. And the reason I find this so frustrating, and this is why I really want to appeal to staff of building companies, I've been in a situation where my boss has said, we need to find so much percent of every progress claim this week or this month. Tell me who we can short pay or find me this many hundred thousand dollars in your progress claims and let me know who we're short paying that can be a commercial reality of doing business uh, that's not to say the builder is going to go broke but those types of directives in building companies are cause for concern those directives were given over a series of years um, at one point from what i saw and that builder didn't go broke but 
perhaps that's why. So if you're a staff member of a building company and you're getting told to do things like that, um, one thing I would say is when you are doing payment schedules and you have a look at the ways that you might be able to assist the builder's cash flow, there could be legitimate ways that you can find better trading terms with suppliers. So that's one thing I looked at when I was a builder CA is I actually went back to some of our trade suppliers and asked them if we could extend to 60 or 90 day terms and they happily said yes. So we didn't have to short pay anybody. And if you start to put bogus back charges on a payment schedule, what happens is the subbies trade credit insurance policy won't cover them if the amount is in dispute. So if you hand on heart know that you're really just making something up to try and kick the can down the road so your boss doesn't have to pay out this much money this month, then bear in mind the impact you could have on somebody's insurance policy. So um, if there's an amount in dispute under a trade credit insurance policy, oftentimes, it's not always the case, but oftentimes the policy will say that amounts that are disputed amounts or the subject of a dispute won't be covered. So if you're going to put bogus back charges on a payment schedule, just understand what the consequences are. That's all I'm asking. If there's another way around it, perhaps there's another way that you can find that same amount of money that needs to be found by looking at some other ways to be clever about changing timeframes for payment of things. Uh, the other thing is liquidated damages on payment schedules as well. So that was one thing we did see a bit of. And oftentimes those builders who were struggling financially weren't able to resource the job themselves. So they would not pay people and then those subbies would suspend work and then lo and behold, the whole job would be delayed. And one of the ways that builders would try to get money grabs out of subbies or try to value down payment claims was to try to start leveraging liquid, liquidated damages. Um, again, that can have an impact on the subbies trade credit insurance policy. You also need to bear in mind what kind of a snowball effect that has on the industry. So builders CAs don't want to be dealing with constant notices of delay and extension of time. Nobody wants more administration than they already have to do. But that is the consequence of slapping people with liquidated damages whenever it suits your purpose to kick the can down the road on payment. You need to expect that people are going to learn their lesson and they will start raining notices of delay on you and claiming extensions of time. That will have a flow on effect throughout the industry. And then suddenly you guys are going to have so much more work on your hands because these subbies will have to pull their socks up to protect themselves. So just keep that in the back of your mind that you might not always be working for this particular builder. Next month you might be working for another builder that's great and you're going to want to reach out to these subbies who you trust and who you have these ongoing relationships with so that you can feel like you can deliver on your job with your new, your new company that you're working for. So um, just remember that your career is a marathon and that your, your future with that particular builder is probably on a ticking time bomb. It's probably not going to be around for much longer. So um, if there's no future there with that builder, just bear in mind who you do have the future with in terms of your relationships. Now, some builders told their closest subbies, and when I am say closest subbies, I'm talking some of these people were related to builders um, or pe people of influence in the building company. They told those people last what was going on. And in the lead up to going broke, some of the things that we saw happen was that uh, they, the builder would go and make attempts to sign up those subbies for multiple jobs. 
So six or seven or eight jobs with the same builder and the builder knew they were going broke and they didn't give any leniency whatsoever to that to those subcontractors in their contract terms either. So this is where you need to start thinking, hang on a second, do we have a two-way street here with this relationship? And how good was that relationship to begin with? Because it seemed like to me that it wasn't necessarily a relationship. It was more that the builder felt like they had the subby under control and they were leaning hard on that subcontractor for their own commercial purposes to be able to effectively um, sign them up for jobs that they knew other subbies might not have signed up with them. And they also knew that they, those particular subcontractors, because they had them under control, wouldn't do anything to debt recover against them. So um, that was really a big, a big issue and something I didn't expect to see so much of. Um, we had we had a builder who took a very long time to go broke, but everybody was not being paid for almost 10 months. So at least at least eight months of trading where that builder just refused to fall on their sword. Um, and what happened, the implications of that for the subcontractors was that trade credit insurers had enough time to realise the builder was in trouble, give notice to all the subbies they'd be pulling their insurance policies from them, and then honour the 90-day binding contracts clause. So a lot of trade credit insurance policies have what's called a binding contracts clause where they say to the subbie, listen, we appreciate you entered into this contract because you had our policy as a safety net and you might not have entered into that contract if you didn't have the policy as a safety net. So uh, we're going to honour this trade credit insurance policy for 90 days, um, but that's it. After that, if you do any more work for that builder, you're on your own, we're not covering you. So the implications of that particular builder publicly stringing it out for eight plus months was that almost all of the subbies who did have trade credit insurance policies weren't covered anymore. And then the builder started telling them porky pies that they weren't allowed to terminate their contracts because there was no clause in the contract that said that they were allowed to terminate their contract and completely overlooked the fact that there's common law principles behind breach of contract that would allow you to terminate anyway. And what the implications of unfair contract terms legislation might be. So it was a very sticky situation where a good deal of the subbies lost their trade credit insurance, didn't know that they could terminate the contract and could have got out of that job. They limped along for almost a, a whole 12 months of trading history, not making any revenue because the builder couldn't give them a clean run at the job. Their workers would just go down the road to work for another another subby um, because the job wasn't getting out of the ground or the job wasn't progressing or the job was suspended on a, on a protracted basis because the builder couldn't get back to site, just couldn't get the people to come back to site. And so those subcontractors didn't actually turn over the revenue they had anticipated they would have turned over because those jobs didn't progress. But it's not that those subbies could just go out and get another job. They had to be on standby just in case the builder suddenly came back to life. So the implications on those subcontractors for that particular builder's decisions were really catastrophic. And then what I also couldn't really understand was that the builder, whenever the subcontractors would commence court proceedings to take the appropriate path to debt recover from that builder or to get themselves into a secured creditor status, 
that builder would fight like tooth and nail in the court, no doubt racking up legal fees. It just made no sense to me that that would be the course of action. Um, so I can't see that they really had any prospects of success, but they decided to drag it out. So I call that the ball and chain example of where the builder just dragged these subbies through hell for almost a year um, before falling on their sword. And it just didn't seem like there was any logical reason to do that when it could have happened much sooner. Now, I want to temper this with the, the shock and the horror around a builder suddenly going broke. Say, for example, ProBuild, um, very quickly, just notification, ProBuild was gone. Now, there can be benefits to that from a legal perspective for subcontractors because nobody knew um, that they were struggling financially. There might have been people who were being short paid here and there, but that could have been pretty much generally in accordance with the normal back charges and the normal short payments that you would see of a builder that size. But the trade credit insurers didn't have time to pull cover. So everybody who had trade credit insurance was still able to um, still able to have that policy. Cara, you're dead right. What they're saying, the complaints to the reg regulator were ignored for the builder that I was talking about previously. So, um, but I have heard that the regulator might be coming under some scrutiny for letting them continue to trade for so long. And really, I'm not sure why that happened. Um, I get the sense it could have been because there might have been some negotiations around where the trust accounts were being implemented or what the reasoning behind that was. But it did seem a bit strange to me as well that they would just let them keep trading. Um, but the, the sudden death builders, so the ones that just overnight go broke, the risk of preference payments is much lower because there's no knowledge, there's no media around these builders going broke or struggling. So you sort of wonder, well, look, how can they prove that I ought to have reasonably known this builder was going broke when no one knew? Um, trade credit insurance still had cover. And so even though it can be difficult to swallow when suddenly your builder just goes broke like that, um, there could be the opportunity for you to go and maybe get some equipment back if you had some notice but don't be lulled into the, the false sense of believing that if you have months and months of notice that this builder's struggling that you might be in a better position because sometimes if you continue to work for the builder and you know they're struggling and you don't have any way immediately to terminate the contract and get out of that situation it can have a bearing on your trade credit insurance policy uh, and it can also have a bearing on whether or not you're subject to to preference payments from liquidators. Um, so that was all pretty negative stuff that I've talked about. I wanted to talk about some of the good things that staff of building companies did for subbies before their builder went broke. Um, and none of this was underhanded. In fact, all it was was playing with straight back. So um, where there were delays because the builder couldn't pay the subbies and the subbies had to suspend work, some staff of building companies gave big fat extensions of time to those subbies. So some of them we saw happen unilaterally under the contract where the, the builder just went, here's your extension of time. Um, and some of them were because the subcontractor either negotiated or applied for an extension of time. So what they would do is if they were, the builder was asking them to come back to site or something like that. Um, the subbie would say, look, I'm only coming back if you do this and this. And it was usually um, give me a big fat extension of time 
and approve my variations for bona fide variations. So that's the other thing we saw happen uh, in some instances where builders, staff of building companies really did the right thing by some subbies, is that they um, made sure their paperwork was really well done for their variations so that when the builder disappeared and was no longer in the mix, then the subcontractor had the documentation to prove that their contract with the builder had been adjusted properly. So if that subcontractor then decided to go and work for the developer, they could prove what their adjusted subcontract sum was. Um, handshake variations and oral variations are so risky in that situation, particularly if your builder promises you a price increase or something like that. Um, in some instances, we saw subcontractors negotiate out of a second stage of a project. So um, subcontractors might have signed up to separable portions or stage one, stage two, stage three of a job, and the subbie was able to say to the builder, hey, I'm really nervous here that you guys are not going to be around. We're having a pragmatic conversation about this. Can you let me out of stage two? Like, do you understand that if you guys are no longer around, let's just amicably sever this contract so that I'm not on the hook for stage two as well or stage three or stage four or separable portion seven, whatever it was. So I actually thought that was really good um, for staff of building companies to do because you need to recognise that some of these commercial businesses are on the hook and um, stuck in a situation that if they are required to honour their original price for a staged project where the project's been delayed over a year and a half, we need to start thinking a little bit about what the implications of that are going to be in the long run. So um, one thing that should be done with a straight bat at all times is the certification of payment schedules. So um, approving all the subbies payment schedules in full should happen if the subbie is entitled to be paid. So it's a payment certificate. You are assessing the value of work carried out. And if the subbie has done the work, don't just try to either not give them a payment schedule or give them a bogus payment schedule. Because if you do that and then you guys go broke or the builder goes broke and then suddenly in two or three months down the track, you're looking to that subbie to work on the new job for you and you're working for a brand new shiny builder, um, they're going to remember that. So if you're giving them a payment schedule, if they've done the work, give them a payment schedule that says they've done the work. It helps the subbie to either give a subbie's charge so that they can chase that money as a certified amount, uh, or it helps them effectively show their trade credit insurer, this is not an amount in dispute. I've got a payment schedule for this. This is certified as payable to me. Um, in some states and territories, there can be penalties for not giving payment schedules. So all I ask is that you play with a straight bat. Just if they've done the work, give them the payment schedule. People will remember you for that stuff. Um, in some instances, we saw some staff of building companies open site for 12 hours or however long for subbies to come and get their plant equipment. When a builder goes broke, there's going to be a little transition period where the person, the developer or the principal needs to work out who's going to take over the job. If that job sits there locked up for six months and these subbies can't get their stuff back to go and make money on the other jobs, the industry is going to end up in even more of a situation where there's not enough subbies to do the work that's going around. So at the moment, we're in a situation just like that where there's jobs that need to be finished. There's not enough subbies to be able to service all these jobs. There is an abundance of work and it's not going to help anyone if subbies can't make money in the meantime. So these subbies are already going to be losing money because they're not going to be paid in full 
most likely. And if, um, if they lose money and they lose their equipment and their ability to go and make more money with somebody else, it's really a double-edged sword. Some builders made inroads with the subbies with the principal. I thought that was good and bad in some ways. I can see the builders did it, I hope, with good intentions for the principal and for the subby to be able to have an open dialogue and go, righto, how can we get on with this job? I hope that's why it happened. Uh, I get the sense in some instances it might have been a little bit self-serving because there were some deeds that were bandied about that effectively said that the principal would pay the subby for that particular payment um, and it would discharge a portion of the builder's debt to the subcontractor. It's a really muddy territory around whether or not that would constitute a preference payment. I'll leave that for someone else to work out. Um, but I think time will tell, and it's possible that we might see those subbies come under fire for preference payments. Uh, but the real reason I think it might have been a little bit self-serving is not only because the builder wanted to discharge some of its debt so that it could say it didn't have that debt anymore, um, whether it be to the regulator or to whoever was chasing them. But it also meant that the subcontractors got stuck with their price from the original contract with the builder when they started dealing with the principal. So where there were novations that took place or whether there were, were agreements for those subcontractors to then go start working for the developer directly later, uh, the subbies were expected to honour their original price for the contract. At that point in time, those subbies had been stuck under contract for a year and a half, had no price increases or rise and fallability in their contracts, and the builder had limped through uh, for so long with not paying, subby suspends work, subby has to go back to work, builder doesn't pay again, and this happened for so many months that it really handicapped the subcontractor's ability to go out and make money and to retain staff. It's so important for people to realise that when subcontractors can't go to work next week, where do they send their 40 workers? They've got people on the payroll who they have to pay regardless. So they have to have a job to send them to. And if they went and got other jobs to send them to, and then suddenly the first builder said, I need you back again, that's when we started hearing threats of liquidated damages and delay costs. So it's really difficult at the moment. I appreciate the staff of building companies have been in situations that they wouldn't have ever liked to have been in, um, some of them more than once. There is one other thing that we have seen happen, which has not happened so much. It's more been a New South Wales issue than Queensland, thank goodness, um, from what I've been seeing. But And the builders that have been doing it, I haven't seen them go into liquidation yet, but I'm really nervous that this is a precursor to that. Um, what we're seeing is builders who are terminating subcontractors in the defects liability period so they can say they don't have to pay any final retention. So any subbies that don't have any defects in the DLP, they just go, we're just going to terminate you for convenience and just keep that final retention. So I've, I've seen a couple of those in the last six weeks. I hope I don't see more. Um, that really is just underhanded. And I think builders need to be careful if they think that they don't still owe that money because uh, there are ways that subcontractors could try to recover that money. Um, but builders technically from a strictly contractual standpoint try to argue that it never became due for release and so therefore it's something that the builder gets to keep. Um, there are ways that could be challenged, so bear that in mind. But I hope this was 
helpful. I, these are really just my observations about what's been happening with builders going broke. Um, the other thing I would like to mention as well is that there have been builders who have gone broke in one state. So one company's gone broke and then they continue to trade in another state under a different company. And what does disturb me a little bit is that if you do a credit search on the company that's still trading, even though they have a common director, their credit check still comes up green. So just bear that in mind. If you are ordering credit checks and you're thinking, no, this person's fine, you really need to have a look at how many different entities does this builder or does this common director have dealings in and order a credit check for each of the different entities because you need to see the full picture of what's going on there. Um, I'm not quite sure why um, those builders are still able to trade. I would have thought the regulator would have been onto them by now, but it doesn't seem to be happening in any kind of haste. Um, but bear that in mind. You always want to be, if you're a subcontractor and you're watching this, you want to actually do, do your due diligence on your builder. Don't just do the license check, order a credit check. You can get credit checks from multiple places these days. Um, we get a really good credit check through a trade credit insurance broker that is informed by trade references, so it's construction relevant. Uh, it tells us how many people have insurance policies or, or references for that particular builder and how, how many days it takes them to typically pay. So um, that can really give you a good snapshot insight into what their practices are typically uh, and where they're at. So that's all. I just wanted to get on here and have a bit of a chat about it and hopefully open up a bit of a discussion because when builders uh, go broke, everybody can have discussions in-house, but it feels taboo to talk about it publicly. I don't think there's any problem with talking about it publicly. Um, the, the things that we've seen happen in the industry um, have been played out pretty publicly as it is. And we're not out there to vilify any particular builder. I do want to reiterate that there's human beings behind these building companies who are in situations now where um, there's a good chance that they may be coming under fire from people, whether it be other family members, whether it be um, other industry professionals, they have to decide what they're going to do with their life now. I'm not saying they're all victims. I know that I'm not silly enough or naive enough to know that um, they're not out there doing just fine, I'm sure, but it's, it's got to not be a very nice thing to go through. So I do want to say, look, I do have a healthy dose of empathy for people who are in that situation, but this is my observation of the good and bad things that staff of building companies have done um, when they've worked for builders just before builders have gone broke. I saw that with the WA builder last year, but related entities collapse within months. Yeah, same. I've seen the same car up. Um, normally, it doesn't take long. Normally, related entities of building companies, there's like a six to eight weeks. Um, Scott's asking, what are the subbies options off the back of termination for convenience so the builder isn't contractually required to pay their attention? So, Scott, the first thing you want to do is you want to make sure when you do your contract review, when you sign up to every single building contract, you want to make sure the contract expressly says that you are entitled to be paid your retention um, if they terminate for convenience. The thing about if you don't have a contractual right for that amount to become due upon termination, you would need to commence a court proceeding and try and sue the builder on restitutional basis, which is unjust enrichment. I can't say for sure whether that would succeed or fail. 
Um, but that would be what I'd be thinking would be the course of action. So you've got an option to do a really good contract review and mark something up in your builder's contract so that if anything ever happens, you can point to it and then take it to adjudication and get an adjudicated to say that you're entitled to have your retention released if they terminate for convenience, relatively cost-effective, um, and 90% of the time you should be okay to go through that process and get some success out of it, providing you have someone helping you with the uh, quagmire of adjudication and the procedure, um, or it'd be a court job. So uh, it's just a really good example of how if you don't do your contract review, the consequences could be uh, 10, 20 times the value of what your contract review might have cost you. Um, so thanks very much for tuning in. Uh, if anyone else has got any questions, just drop a question in. Uh, otherwise, I'm going to take off and get a Saturday afternoon drink in. I hope you are all having a really good weekend. Thanks, Scott. It's been a pleasure. All right. See you later, everyone. If you have any questions about what I've talked about on this podcast, feel free to drop me a good old-fashioned email at questions at tricksofyourtrade.com.au. If you would like a systematic approach to your contract administration and getting paid, head on over to our website and check out the Subbies toolbox. You won't be disappointed there. And just one last time, our web address is www.tricksofyourtrade.com.au. Are you an Aussie tradie and your paperwork is shady? Do the darkest farm side keep you up late at night? Are you sick of pushing paper? Swinging your tools the more you gave up. Call us the tricks of your trade. Welcome to the Tricks of Your Trade podcast, where we talk about trade business topics to help you get through business life unscathed. Does the bill to pay you late and your cash flow fluctuates? Do you dread the office work? Can't afford a full-time clerk? Consider working smarter. Don't be a business smarter. Call us the Tricks of Your Trade.